False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 113 for June of 2021. We're all here this month. Garrett, Eric, me, Pete. And uh, uh, before we get into our topic, any workshop updates that you guys want to talk about? I've done some updates to the workshop, um, which is going to be kind of my primary focus, I think, for the next month or two. But I... Uh, started with one wall in my workshop and I painted it all white. And then on last month's episode, I was talking about the metal shelves that I built that mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it's like a concrete block shop, but there's, um, these metal brackets that I made that hang from the top plate of the shop. Right. So they're elevated. And so all the load is hung on top of the wall and there's, um, the wall that it's on is 30 feet. And I did two rows of shelves that are two feet deep. So I have that whole wall from about six and a half feet up is shelving. Um, and so I painted the wall, put the brackets on, uh, put all the, the shelving that I built kind of in where it goes. And now I'm putting all of my storage stuff um, up on that shelving system. So I can sort of finish that wall and like move around the whole shop and do one wall at a time is kind of what I'm doing. There's just too much going on inside the shop to do it all at once. But I have new garage doors that are going on um, and uh, I'm going to redo all the lighting in it. So it kind of has a hodgepodge of lights like there's some LED fixtures. There's some regular like tube fluorescent fixtures. And I'm just like throwing away all of it that's, you know, antiquated and just putting in all the same style eight foot LED shop lights. It's Um, amazing how cheap those have gotten. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, you do need to wear sunglasses when you walk in there. Yeah. Well, luckily it's like 12 feet tall. So the light comes from way up high. So it disperses really well when it's that high. Yeah. That's nice. Um, so yeah, all new lights, and, you know, all the walls are going to be freshly painted. I'm going to run some additional electrical outlets, um, put in new uh, roll-up garage doors. There's two of them that are 10 feet high. Um, they're like 10 by 10 doors. Uh, so, yeah, it's getting kind of a facelift that I've been meaning to do for a long time. Just to give you a comparison, my workshop area is 10 by 12 yeah. With an 80-inch ceiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, you kind of make a space work for you. And I've noticed that, like, I could have more space and it would be, like, awesome. I have more space. But I would, like, build it into, like, an area that it's hard to work in. Like, the more space you have, the more garbage you put in it. And it's, you still find it harder to work. Even with a small space, if you organize it right, you can really do a lot out of a yeah. single car garage. Uh, I used to. There's the acronym ERMI, Expenses Rise to Meet Income. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way. 
the your space needs expand to fill whatever space you have available. So yeah, that's, uh, um, one other workshop update, which is not motorcycle related, but I'm pretty excited about it nonetheless. Um, I'm picking up my diesel truck finally tomorrow, and it has been being worked on now since the beginning of April. So wow. you know, two months that it's been gone, um, and it kind of snowballed. Right. So like once they started getting into the truck, there was just, you know, some stuff that needed to be replaced while they were in there. And so it ended up getting all new injectors and head studs and the infamous, know. the infamous while you're in there. Yeah. Well, you know, in this type of truck, the fuel injectors are buried down in the heads. And so when the heads are off, it's like and, and to get the heads off, you have to take the cab off. So like. It would be very expensive to replace them later. So it was just, I mean, it was hard to do, but it had to be done. So, um, but the whole truck is rebuilt and I justified it because a new truck now is, uh, and speaking of financing, a new truck now is like, you know, $90,000 to replace what I have. And so, you know, I spent $18,000 on this truck, like on the upgrades that I did. And I think that it'll be good for, Funny, funny you say that, because in the review that I am just about done with um, for the F-150 King Ranch Power Boost, which is the hybrid version, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The sticker on it was $77,000. So just for giggles, I went and tried to build as close to an equivalent F-250 as I could. And I had an, a, a King Ranch F-250 uh, diesel, the, um, what is it, Power power Stroke? Mm-hmm. No, what's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was within $1,000. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. That's yes, really I built basically the equivalent F-250 diesel for the same price as the hybrid F-150. Wow. Interesting. They so. must want a premium price for that hybrid Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and oh, by the way, uh, my average fuel economy in the hybrid was 18 miles to the gallon. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, um, so you would get better, better fuel economy with the five liter V8. Yeah. I was going to say that. that I don't know. Average, Cause I, I've got a 2019 with the, yeah. with the five liter coyote motor in it and we're getting about 14 or 15. So. That's uh, in mixed in mixed driving. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's what I hear people getting when they're well, they get about twelve towing and then like twenty on the highway. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, so yeah, the truck finally comes back tomorrow. Cool. Um, and those are the major updates. I. Uh... You know, that whole discussion about I was going to be able to do all the work on the torque converter bike without cutting a frame. Well, yeah. I <laughs> sent you guys a picture with the, both the down tubes missing because I, mm-hmm. it, it finally was just not going to work. And I briefly thought about getting, you know, changing it up and doing some other kind of power plant, you know, some other kind of engine yeah. in it. And I thought, I'm I'm kind of jazzed about the idea for this, so I was like, jump in with both feet. So I happen to, you know, I'm using leftover parts. Well, I have a 
really nice. They retail for like $450, $500, those rigid uh, mandrel tubing benders. It's not mm-hmm. like a, a JD squared or one of those where you have interchangeable mandrels for different diameters and, and uh-huh. tubing sizes. This is one that's just a big ratcheting thing that's designed for contractor use. But the one I bought, I bought for a hundred bucks off a guy from, from, uh, off Craigslist because I needed to bend, uh, the seat tube for the rear triangle on Boltakenstein. Mm-hmm. And so I got a three quarter inch diameter, uh, like three and three quarter inch radius. And that's the only thing it does. So the down tubes on this are seven eighths of an inch. And they're like, I don't know, like, like they're, they're not drawn over mandrel. It's just electrically welded with a big gobby weld. So it's really tough to, and they're not perfectly round. So it's kind of hard to measure the exact thickness, but they're around a 0.9 inch Mm -hmm. wall thickness. So I went ahead and I've been playing around with some, some thin, basically glorified conduit quality, uh, weldable metal, but it's, it's real tubing. It's, it's measured from the outside diameter. It's not like, like conduit where it's Mm -hmm. just nominal measurements. But I've been bending things, making sure I could do it. So I went ahead and I'm thinking it's going to be like another week before I get it. But I finally found some uh, nice high carbon steel, uh, three-quarter inch, 0.107 wall that I'm going to put in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a little step down in the thickness. For this purpose, I don't care. What I'm thinking I may do is I made up some plugs that I'll – eventually turn down to the right diameter to fit in there. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just drill some holes through it and, and just spot weld through the hole, you know, plug weld. Yep. And then I've been really wanting to try MIG brazing. I have all the stuff for MIG brazing with my other unit. So I, I may just actually braze the diameter on the outside and see how that works. Yeah. It's just something to play with. So I'm working on that. That's going forward. Um, haven't done anything on Boltakenstein other than pick up some parts. I, I got a, the right intake manifold, or I guess it's a, actually a carb adapter because it's not a manifold when it's only one. A um, couple other little things that I've been messing with. And I bought a rebuild kit for my front wheel on the on the torque converter bike. Mm-hmm. So I got that ahead of me. And... Uh, Right now, uh, there is no money to be spent for at least a <laughs> month or two. So, what did you do? Buy something else? Still leftover from my incredibly expensive new computer. So, oh yeah, dear listener, you can't tell the difference, but the video quality from the is camera on his new iMac is good. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, yeah. So, I I'm very much enjoying it, and I use it every day. So, it's it's good. So. I was asked to judge a car show first time since before COVID that most of these guys had been out to the car show. And it's like, wow, this feels so weirdly normal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, I forgot what this is. It's wrong that it feels wrong that it's normal. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. 
but fell in love. A guy had a, uh, about a 1973 510. Oh. I don't know what Nissan numbers are, but it was a, it was a double overhead cam, 16 valve, four cylinder that was, you know, had, had, uh, it wasn't caged, but it had a tubing cage around the engine to support the, all like the suspension and stuff. It was, it was very cool. And I may just, I realize it's not too wheeled, but I'm going to put a picture of it out on the Hooniverse page so everybody can see because yeah. I, I talked to the guy for a while and it, it was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. he said he can't go anywhere without people like trying to pull him over and, you know, screaming at him. Yay. So oh, 510. I mean, the fervor of them has died down a little bit in the last couple of years, but about four or five years ago, like if you had a 510, it was basically name your price. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, my wife's aunt has a two for it's 1972 240Z that she bought new mm-hmm. in 72 and, um, has had it all these years and they live in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, and so, but for, I've, I've never seen the car until recently, but for the past few years, she'd none of, none of her kids have any interest in the car. And she's like, you know, one of these days I'll just let you come and take it. And so I've always really wanted to see this car. And like, you know, it hasn't really been touched in like quite a few years. It's just been sitting in their garage. And so I went, we were in San Francisco and we went on our little road trip a few weeks ago. And so I finally got to look at the car and I was so excited. And then I saw how much rust <laughs> was oh, in really? the car. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, it is a rust bucket that car spent some time in salt lake city and uh you know the salt roads on like uh, california where there you know is no wintertime issues in san francisco anyways but even san francisco's got the marine air so stuff doesn't fare super well there but um yeah the car is like probably not really even salvageable it's it's pretty bad oh that's a shame Um, unfortunately yeah well should we we actually do have a topic this month. Yes. You wouldn't know it. But. Our topic this month is financing, new motorcycle financing. Uh, Eric, you suggested, tell us what, what's up that made you, made you think you want to talk about it. Well, like everything else, a bunch of new bikes coming out and even the quote unquote cheap bikes are expensive. Um, you know, like, a. Eight nine thousand dollars for this, you know, Yamaha R7 that's come out, which is basically an MT07 with bodywork. Um, you know, the the new Aprilia 660 is you know twelve grand. The Tuano is eleven grand. Whatever, just a lot of stuff's gotten really expensive, as everything else has. Yeah. Or I'm just getting old and remember when things were less expensive. Although relatively speaking, they were all about the same price or close to it. So anyways, um, I forgot what I was watching or reading or whatever. And then they were talking about a BMW motorcycle. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then something came up about the monthly, the monthly videos on it. And I'm like, well, that's absurdly cheap. And I remembered from years ago when I looked at a BMW, just out of curiosity that they had a different way that they financed stuff where it was relatively cheap to, to finance a BMW. And it's for those of you listening in Europe, uh, or at least in the UK, it's basically BMW uses the PCP financing model, which is you put some money down and you have a balloon payment after a certain amount of time. In this case, pretty much everything is four years at 
five and a half percent. And then, you know, that you finance the difference. So, um, you know, I had a lot of questions on that and in looking in, looking into it, the, you could get a very nice motorcycle for not a lot of money. But my bigger question was, okay, you have this balloon payment due in four years. Are you going to get screwed on this thing in the sense of you got this balloon payment and you can't like, if you needed to sell it, could you sell it for that price? Turns out BMW's pricing model is very good because, and I looked at this in a number of different um, geographic in the, in the United States bikes were selling for more than what the balloon was four or five years old. Mm. So the, the difference is it's just a balloon payment. Yeah. When you get to the end of it, you give us the cash. Yeah. Over in the UK, they do PCP, which is personal contract purchase. Mm-hmm. That's different in that there is a guaranteed buyback amount, what they call a, a guaranteed future value. So you have a walk away at the end. Yeah. And they tell you up front what it's going to cost for the, how much they expect it to depreciate in two years. Now, if the market value is more than that, you can refinance. You can negotiate a trade in for more than the amount and use whatever equity above that guaranteed minimum value you can use as a down payment on another bike. Okay. Or you can walk away. But if you're upside down, you're not left holding the bag. There is an absolute guarantee that you can walk away. You can simply go to the dealer when your contract's up, turn in the bike and go, I'm done and walk away. Now you've, you don't have any equity in it at that point. Mm-hmm. And really what you've done is you've ridden it for two years for the cost of depreciation. So that to me seems like a really good deal. BMW, what they're doing in the United States is not PCP. And I think there's two reasons for it. One is I think there's probably some legal uh, restrictions that you can't do in this country that you can do over there as far as lending. The other thing about a PCP deal is they have mileage limits on those. Mm-hmm. I think people travel shorter distances in the UK. Oh, yeah, Bikes don't less. get the yeah. mileage that they get, especially big touring bikes like a BMW. I, I think that's one of the things is you can put a whole lot of miles on one. And like a lease or a PCP deal, you have to pay for the mileage when you when it's over, which I think would sting people just as much. So, but surprisingly, though, when I looked at the price, I figured BMW has done a good job of pricing this, and the idea that after four years, if you've had this BMW, you're going to want a new BMW, and so you just trade it in, be even, or maybe that is enough there for your next down, you know, down payment, and you do the same thing over again. Yeah, and I, I get it, but you know, you can go back and look at the housing cri- crisis, yeah. and you can you can see there were so many people who got stung with balloon payments on houses, which is normally an appreciating value. Mm-hmm. Oops, no, I guess not. Or they thought yeah. I'll just roll it over into a new loan, and they found out they couldn't get the interest rate that they had yeah. gotten. No, so we, no, we went we went through. We didn't get caught in the refinance of that, but we bought our house and in Dearborn in in 2003 and we paid, you know, X amount. And then at the bottom of the market, or at least around here in like 2008, 2009, 
you know, our house was worth 30% of what we paid for it. <laughs> so, or 35%. And it's not like we lived in a bad neighborhood. It's just that it, the, the area got hammered. So thankfully we were in a reasonable mortgage at the time. So there's no limit to how badly you can screw yourself up if that yeah. goes down. So, yep. so what I did was as a, as an exercise for this, I went through and I, um, just as just for some examples, I put together and I shared with everyone. Let's see, what did I do? Seven, seven different motorcycles. Some of them are bikes that I would be interested in. Some were just general, and then some were okay. Well, this is the higher. These are the volume sellers for them, or the the ones that BMW likes to push. So, for example, a let's see, where is it? okay? So, so the big daddy BMW, the R twelve fifty GS. And I don't think I did the adventure. I think I just did the regular one. I could pull it up because I, I did um, do a whole build on it. And it's not just the base price. I put in what I thought would be at the average options that people would want, mm-hmm. or at least that I would want them. So a R1250 GS, I think the base price on it's like 20 grand or something. But as, as I optioned it out, 25.090, the monthly payment on that is $275.62 a month, which is damn reasonable for a $25,000 motorcycle. Um, you you had to put 2420 down, and your balloon after four years was, let's just call it 13550 mm. So that was, I'm like, hmm, not yeah. that I want a BMW G, you know, 1250GS, but okay. I suspect a four-year-old 1250GS has got to be, like, People must be asking more than thirteen thousand dollars for yeah the the average four year old g s was was going for about fifteen fifteen to seventeen thousand dollars yeah so you know that was good um one of the bikes that i well there's two that I would be sort of interested in for myself one was the and don't laugh too hard the r nine t urban g s mm-hmm. i just the style of it is oh i think it's a neat bike yeah yeah yeah. It sort of looks like the original GS, but different enough, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so that one stickered out at 17490 for 191 almost 100 let's call it $192 a month with 1700 down and a 9550 balloon payment. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to get the I think the cheapest one was an F900R. The F900R and the R9T Pure were pretty close. So the F900R ended up going for it's called 130 bucks a month, and then the R9T Pure was 137 dollars a month. Mm-hmm. You know, and these are, uh, you know, twelve thousand eleven five, twelve five motorcycles. Yeah. And so that financing system that's not available here, or it is? It is, but it is only okay. for BMW. So I, so my thought was, okay, all these other OEMs, or at least let's say the premium OBMs, like let's say Triumph and Ducati, mm-hmm. could they bump their sales since they know what their bikes tend to be worth and their owners tend to be relatively loyal. Could they see a significant bump in sales or get new people involved in the brand if they were to offer a similar financing scheme? And yeah. I use the word scheme in the British sense, not the, Oh, it's a scheme yeah. or it's a scam. It's a, yeah. you know, yeah, but here so is this is this BMW do their own financing then? They're the ones I, that yeah, are I'm sure they have capital. Their, I'm sure they have their own captive arm, yeah. Yeah. So my question is this is for what, two years? Four. Four years? 
Okay. How is basically you're paying off half of it in four years, and then you have a balloon payment. Mm-hmm. How is that different than just financing it for eight years? I mean, this is just like a super long loan. I guess less interest paid over time. Well, the point is you have that balloon payment. So if I had $10,000 available that I could put down on one, oh, I could yeah. finance this for four years. Or, you know, I would, like- so I would, I would look at it almost like how people lease cars. Like there's, there's two types of people who lease cars. Well, there's probably three, but the two main ones are people who really can't afford the car but want it. And then there's the other people who like, well, I'm going to be, I I like changing cars at some kind of regular interval just because I like changing cars. And so let someone else deal with the depreciation. So my idea or my thought here is like motorcycles do most. And again, I can't really speak from experience here, but because I've never bought a new motorcycle. But if the, for those who buy a new motorcycle, do they tend to keep them for five, six, seven years or do they want the new thing after three or four years? Well, I get that, but I can I can take out a six-year loan and after three years decide I want a new motorcycle, trade it in, you know, pay off the old loan with my equity, assuming I'm not upside down. But if I find out, if I go into the dealership and they're like, oh, no, you're way upside down on this, you know, values have tanked. I don't have that looming balloon payment that I can't afford that's going to force me into, into now I have to do something. I'm going to either have to refinance at whatever the prevailing rates are, mm-hmm. assuming I can get a lender to do another, you know, three year loan on a, what's now a three year old vehicle. I, I just, you're betting everything will go perfectly and you're not yeah. leaving yourself any out because in the end, you're really getting an eight year loan on it with one big gotcha in the middle of that eight years. But again, I go back and I look at what are the residuals of these motorcycles after four years and consistently the balloon payment would be less than what if you were to have even if you decided no i just i'm done with this thing after four years you would be able to sell it for at least what your payment would be your balloon payment would be if and 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 maybe even walk away with money based off of again what i did in some searches in multiple geographic areas so i did i did like california i did portland i did Arizona, Florida, Texas, here, and like Atlanta, I think. I totally get that right now the residuals are good. I just see it as as fraught with risk. What was the other one? Oh, the other one that I looked at that was interesting was, and I, I didn't realize that these had gotten that expensive, was the R1250 RS. Ended up being almost well, just a tick over twenty thousand dollars for that, but it's mostly because if you want like the heated grips and a few of the other things, it was like a thirty-two hundred dollar option. I forgot what they called it, but it was a it was a particular pack. I'm like, oh, that that got expensive in a hurry. Um, yeah, what was that? Two twenty a month, two fifty a month. So yeah, anyways, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was just it was interesting, and I just got me thinking of, well, again, because my bike is I'm completely uninterested in it and sitting in pieces in my garage, and <laughs> now that I can, I, I've got other things that need to be spending money on than a new bike, and we've had that conversation. Um, but it was just like, hmm, interesting. That's you know, and not that a BMW is high on my list, but it's it's you know in there. A couple of them are. So it just it was it was it was more of a fundamental exercise to look at and just going off on a tangent of, okay, well, if other companies did this, would this or could this boost motorcycle sales? Because, you know, we're 10 years in from, you know, when everything collapsed and motorcycle sales never recovered. I really have never recovered from from 07 to 09 when that during that collapse. So could this applied to other OEMs stimulate it, stimulate sales yeah. or I, interest. I, I know that Suzuki uh, has various times either 1.9 or 2.9 financing uh, pretty regularly. Uh, I just was, I just went out to their website, you know, the, especially non-currents, you know, they're not 2019 and 2020 bikes. Almost mm-hmm. all of them are 1.99% financing. Unfortunately, it's limited to 36 months. Mm-hmm. The difference between, you know, if you go to your credit union, you're going to get what? 3.75, 3.99%. The difference between 2% and 4% is not significant. Yeah, like 10 bucks. Back when. Well, it's been a little more than that, but yeah. I think it was 2009, five and a quarter to five and a half percent. Uh, was the going rate at a at a bank, and I bought my Suzuki Boulevard, and I got zero point nine nine percent, and that was a significant difference. Mm. When I went in the F and I office, they had written me up with a regular contract, not through Suzuki, which is what they had promised me I had I had been approved for, and. They were going through some lender that I'm sure they were getting a kickback from. Yeah. And it was like $20 higher than what they'd quoted me on the phone. So I was like, oh, no, I'm walking. Sorry. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. Come back, come back, come back. And amazingly, he had the Suzuki uh, paperwork already filled out. So they were doing the old F&I switcheroonie yeah. and the hoping I wouldn't notice that but it was about twenty bucks a month that it was going to cost me just in interest. So I I, uh, I just did the, I did the difference between two point nine and five point nine on twelve grand was was fifteen bucks a month. So I actually was you know still yeah can, so still can sometimes do that. So that's a five year loan at say five nine yeah. twelve grand is two thirty one a month. So well we got zero percent financing for seventy two months when we bought our truck in twenty nineteen on new. Ford F-150, and that's why we bought a new truck. It basically allowed us to buy the new truck for what used trucks that were two and three years old were going for. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think we had about ten grand to put down on it. So we were still financing it. It's a $52,000 truck, which we normally wouldn't have bought new. The difference between financing 25 and 36 you're going from, you know, paying four and a half percent to zero. It allowed us to buy a new truck for the same monthly payment. And we went 72 months because it was new. Yeah. It's yeah. free money. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know. So, and we put enough cash down up front. We were not afraid about being upside down. No, no. Next uh, August, uh, my wife pays off her edge, and it was the same thing when she got it. it you know, they were offering six years at zero percent, and she's like, "Well, I don't want to go that long." I'm like, "Well, it's free money." <laughs> yeah, it's like they're losing money on this deal. So, yeah. but yeah. Anyways, it was it was sort of like I said. It goes back to it was a mental exercise. Thought it'd be fun and just. What bike, how much bike could you buy or could you get for how little money kind of deal? Mm-hmm. And, and BMWs being, you know, a premium brand, it was, it was an interesting exercise. Years and years ago, I had uh, somebody, not really a friend, an acquaintance. She and her husband just could not manage money. And they had gotten a lease that was really, really, really cheap. Like they got like a new Corolla for like $120 a month. Unfortunately, the mileage restrictions were so low that at the end of their two years or three years, whatever it was, they owed thousands of dollars they didn't have. Mm. So they were talked into financing their upside downness through the dealership. So then they had a payment. Yep. Well, the interest was so high that like another three years later, they were still upside down. It had depreciated more than they were paying. And they went back to the dealer and the guy said, well, the only thing you can do is trade it in and we will give you an inflated price on your trade in, but we will raise a new car over the MSRP by a like amount. Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised that they were that forward about what is a really shady arrangement. But they were all thrilled that they bought like this, you know, whatever it was, $21,000 GM minivan. And, oh, we've solved our problems. Like, no, you haven't. You've just pushed (laughs) it off another three years because you're going to be upside down in this one. So, yep. I, I know people that in speaking of financing in general say, do not finance a motorcycle. It's not a necessity. Mm -hmm. I think at. 1.9 or 0.99%. It's still not costing you everything, but I kind of agree. Save your money, buy it cash so it's not affecting your monthly budget, or buy something used that fits within the amount of cash you do have. Mm -hmm. But it is what it is. There is a certain argument of, yeah, it's going to take me three or four or five, six years to save up the money. I'm going to be three or four or five, six years older, and I will have that many years of not riding. I have broken my own rule on at least three occasions that I have financed a motorcycle. So I can see both sides of it. There's a certain amount of just go live your life and don't worry about the money so much. And then there's the, hey, if you spend cash. Well, just as an example... I have been motorcycling for, you know, years, and I seriously doubt, besides maintenance, that I have paid really any money to do it. Because the motorcycles that I have bought, I've waited for, like, a good deal and used them for a couple years and ended up selling them for about what I paid. I mean, maybe I've spent a couple few thousand dollars 
you know, in total to motorcycle for my whole, like I'm saying besides maintenance, tires and oil changes and upgrades and stuff like that, but just like purchasing motorcycles, what I purchased them for, what I later sold them for has always been pretty close to equal, if not having made money. And so you could also to that point, just pay cash, buy what you can afford, be patient and strategic and really be into a hobby for not much money, if you look at it that way. So I've never bought like I've never I've never financed a motorcycle. So I don't really know about interest rates and durations on them, but I'm not sure I would want to pay a ton of interest on a toy. Yeah, unless no. I was unless I was getting like, you know, a lot of use out of it. You know, like I could see financing a um, you know, like a touring bike, some, I mean, something that you're going to have for a long time, you're going to put a lot of miles on and they are just very expensive. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I would want to buy a $5,000 used touring bike that I wanted to put a hundred thousand miles on. Uh, so, you know, there's reasons certainly to finance a motorcycle, but you know, in general, I think that paying as little to the man as you can, as always best. Well, my wife bought her 2012 Can-Am. It was, it was like, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to say by the time we put over the first couple of years, bought a new seat for it, put some accessories on and stuff. $25,000 we had into it. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how many miles she had on it, but we had used it well for, uh, nine years and we easily took a 60 to 70% depreciation hit on it. Now we knew the dealer was lowballing us. Some of it was we had some major service ready to be done that we were going to have to spend high three figures on anyways, if we kept it. And we didn't want to have to go through the hassle of selling it out of our driveway. I mean, we sold cars ourselves and done real well, but because it was a manual and most of the spider riders want the sequential paddle shifters on it, mm-hmm. we weren't sure what kind of a market there was going to be. This was just different enough that I was like, yeah, I don't want a million people coming by and kicking the tires. I was kind of angry with the, the trade-in deal we were able to make. Initially, I felt like I took a bath on it, mainly because it's really hot market right now. And they, I saw what they sold it for. Double what they gave you? Um, at least an 80% markup. Yep. And I know that's how dealerships work. Um, they had the salesman take some pictures of it in the service bay with all of the Tupperware taken off of it because they had to do valve adjustments and stuff like that. So they, they did an extensive amount of of labor into the service, and I understand the way dealerships work. The service department internally bills the sales department for working on used inventory, so it's not like that's free labor to the sales department. The more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? It was worth it to me to not have the hassle of putting it on Craigslist and having people mess with me. Mm-hmm. The convenience was worth something to me, especially because it wasn't mine. It, yeah. it was my wife's. She's like, I want the new bike without the hassle of, mm-hmm. and, and they're big enough. 
I didn't know where I was going to keep a third one if she bought the new one and I didn't sell the old one in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot how big they were, those were. And then uh, I've seen a couple of them running around here lately. And I'm like, that's a, that's a pretty good sized machine. Yeah. Like, I mean, they take a footprint of almost a compact car. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They're, we ended up having to get a 20 foot trailer. Right. Cause they're eight and a half feet long. Five foot wide or five foot track? About five and a half feet wide to the edges of the front fenders. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, they're big. They take yeah. up a lot of room, which is one of the things I like about motorcycles is they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Some. <laughs> yeah. So, Garrett, is there a motorcycle out there that could tempt you into financing and buying new? Um, that's a good question. Uh, probably not. I have too much restraint, I think, to buy, <laughs> like, you know, a new 1100 V4 Aprilia, you know, like the RSV4. Um, I just simply couldn't pay cash to do that, <laughs> at least not responsibly. And I just, like, I would have a hard time spending, like, financing that much money on a toy. Like I said, a cruiser bike... Um, I think I'd be more likely to do it, but I still like find too much value in a used, you know, gold wing. I've just never been in the habit of, I guess, willingly losing money. So I like to take advantage of the people that have taken the hit. Sure. Rather than be the one that takes the hit. Well, I played that game when I bought my Suzuki Kazashi. It was mm -hmm. it was shortly after Suzuki had pulled out of the US market. Yeah. And people were like, oh you won't get parts for it. Oh you you know you're you're not going to be able to get recalls or service done on it. And it's required for 10 years by law that they have to support. And I that. knew exactly what I wanted. I was like, okay, I want a six speed manual. I want the sport GTS and I went out to Auto Trader, and I had one of those alerts. If there's anything within, I think it was 400 miles. Uh -huh. And for six months, nothing. All of a sudden, an alert pops up. It was a dealership less than 10 miles from my house. Uh -huh. It was four years old. It had 28,000 miles on it, under $12,000 out the door. Yeah. And I've been driving it for six years. I and love the way those look. And it is a fantastic car. I for six years I have not wanted anything else. Mm -hmm. It now we we bought the truck, but that was to replace an old truck that's our third vehicle, and it was rusting out and it was starting to nickel and dime us on maintenance. And we had a couple of uh, scary experiences on long distance trips where we limped home. And I was like, if you can't trust it on a trip, it's not worth having. Mm -hmm. And nope. And the only reason we bought new was because we could get 0% financing for ridiculously long time. So we're like, okay. But having a car free and clear this long, that is still a fantastic car. I, I've put rear shocks on it. I've replaced the battery and I'm on my second set of tires. Mm -hmm. And that's because I buy fairly sticky tires for it because it's a nice handling car. Every so. time I walk past one in a parking lot, I take a long look. Because I just have always really liked them. I, I love mine. And again, depreciation was my friend. Mm -hmm. 
it's an exceptionally good car for what it is. It's not like the best car in the world, but for a compact front wheel drive, sporty sedan that you can get with a manual, mm-hmm. it's a blast to drive. It's very reliable. It still feels incredibly solid. There's very little noise, vibration, harshness in there. And uh, the engine's a lot of fun. It's slow. It's 185 horsepower, but it's all the powers between four and 7,000 RPM. So you just, you know, you just treat it like a Grand Prix car. You just mm-hmm. <laughs> rev the heck out of it, and it's fun. Uh, it's gutless below four grand. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, really, like, you can stomp on it, and it just doesn't accelerate. <laughs> but anyways, if I had gotten, like, a Corolla or a Mazda 3 or something, I easily would have paid 30 to 40% more than I bought this for. And it was like, cool, yeah, I'll play the depreciation game when it's to my favor. To both of your points, I mean, in the, uh, let's see, 40, we'll call it 35 cars a year for the past, I don't know, 10 years that I've, dri- I've driven, so, you know, 400 cars that I've, you know, written reviews or done videos on. There are very few that I would pay my own money for, whether, you know, regardless of being able to afford it. But it's like, yes, I would take out a loan for this vehicle. There are very few of them. Yeah. Um, and they're, some of them are kind of like, really? You'd buy that? I'm like, well, for what it is, it's to peace point. Hey, for what it is, it's cool. And I yeah. like it, you know, just for whatever reason. So there's other ones you're like, really? You'd pay them, you know. Toyota, Toyota Land Cruiser, yes, it's $90,000. Yes, it's worth $90,000. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've driven a $120,000 Escalade, and that was worth about $70,000. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and so we can apply that to motorcycles as well. So. Yeah. I had saw uh, that you had sent me a link to a salvage title R3. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Going and, back to and I had, yeah, yeah, there is one that popped on the auction locally, too, but I am um, exercising that restraint that I had talked about <laughs> earlier. And best not to make any new projects right now. Yeah. I was actually headed to my dentist, and I had some spare time, so I went by the Triumph slash BMW dealer, and they have the new, I talked about this, I think, last episode or two episodes ago, the, the new 2022. Uh, oh, the bobber? Bobber. I sat on mm-hmm. it. And if I didn't think it would cause domestic strife and I thought <laughs> I could actually swing the payment, mm-hmm. that's one nice. Everything that I didn't like about it, they have successfully removed. And I have to say, the pictures on their website of the Cordovan red tank, make it look like it's matte. Cause I think what they did is they took black and they just Photoshopped the color. Uh-huh. It makes it look like a matte maroon. It looks so nice. And I would, if I had a $14,000 budget for a motorcycle, it would tempt me. I don't have anything close to that. Obviously, that's $2,000 more than I paid for my car six years ago. So <laughs> it, it's not even in the realm of possibility. I could just as soon buy an airplane as buy that. <laughs> but it is one gorgeous motorcycle. And when I sat on it, the ergonomics felt awesome. So 
Mm. I'll put some pictures of that because I haven't seen any nice pictures online of the red one without accessories bolted onto it. So I've got a couple pictures of it I'll put on the Hooniverse site as well. So there's a, uh, the, the, the Ducati dealership is literally a mile up the street from me. And when I say I'm like, I can walk there in 15 minutes and I drive by it frequently. And there's a reason I don't stop in. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say when I was in there, I took a good look at the, what is it? The 310 GS. Mm-hmm. I never really paid attention to it before. That's a really nice little bike. I could see somebody being really attracted to that. It reminded me a lot of the, uh, versus X 300 that my brother-in-law and my niece just bought. I'm not sure it would be worth the, worth the premium and what it costs over mm-hmm. one of those. I mean, it, just looking at it, you can tell it's, it's BMW fit and finish to it seems to have really robust components to it. I, I wouldn't fault anybody for buying one of those. I thought it was a really neat kind of a cool either short trip or round town bike or, you know, just get out. And I really want something that I don't have to be afraid of gravel roads on, mainly because there are so many farm roads out in Kansas when we're on our spiders that we just looked at and we're like, yeah, we're not going down that road. Mm -hmm. Years and years ago, we got a cabin down in Arkansas at the at uh, Beaver Lake, and we didn't realize that it was about a half mile of gravel to mm-hmm. get to it, and it was pretty rutted gravel. You know, it was hadn't been groomed in a lot of years. And when we got down there, it was a torrential downpour. So it was mud and standing water. And we had to take our spiders down there. They they did fine. We didn't bash up any body work. Nothing got damaged, but they were filthy by the time we were mm-hmm. done. So that is that is the one where from a BMW standpoint, the 850 GS has so much potential, but there's something about it that's just lacking. And I can't I can't put my finger on it because the weight is good because it's like I think it's around 450 pounds. It seems to be far more maneuverable than say the 1250. I don't know if it's a lack of torque and power or it's a price or a combination of something in there. It just doesn't, doesn't appeal for some reason where it should, that should be like the perfect spot. And I think KTM is going to kill it with that, um, 890 adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the ball sack gas tank just gets me. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it just looks wrong. <laughs> and I realized it's rugged enough. It's not going to puncture in a tip over and it actually keeps the weight low. And there's, a, I, I understand all of the reasons why it's not a problem other than looks. Yeah. The looks would still be. <laughs> yeah. One other bit of old business is we had talked a couple episodes ago about the prices that mini bikes were going for. Oh God. Yeah. On my local Craigslist, a 1972 Roadster that had been completely redone. I don't know if it was a, a factory correct restoration or not. The ask is $4,700. For a mini bike. For a RUP mini bike with a, with a torque converter on it. It's not even like one that, you know, some of them had really nice little like Hadaka engines in them and stuff. It's got a chrome tank. It's got chrome fenders. But that still just floored me. 
Yeah. And not the only person asking that kind of price. Now, whether you get it is a totally different question. Rep go-karts on Bring a Trailer have done extremely well, but then again, things on Bring a Trailer seem to do extremely well. Yeah. That's... Like, there's been a variety of rep go-karts sold, and there is, like, some twin-engine one that sold for $18,000. And, you know, this is just, like, you know, 60s go-kart. But then all of just, like, the regular rep go-karts are anywhere from, like, four to $10,000 on Bring a Trailer. Bring a trailer has got like, like it's if it's so a bring weird. a trailer, it's it's like a thirty percent premium over yeah. everything. Like you can go to one of the other similar style auction sites, whether yeah. it's the Miros yeah. or there's a few of them around there now. I think Haggerty's even starting to do one. Um, and yeah, just the prices on there are, are I don't call it obscene. Hey, because if someone can get it, it's it's fine, you know. But it's yeah, like, I'm surprised so many people still go there, given unless they just don't know. Right. Yeah, or they just don't care. I mean, if you're going to spend yeah. ten thousand bucks on a go kart, maybe it just doesn't really matter what you pay for it if you want it. Yeah, I don't, it's weird. It's a weird website. I love it. I love looking at the stuff. But oh, I have, a, yeah. I have an alert. I have an alert set up on it for because um, one of my secret cars that I want is a TVR. Oh yeah, a Chimera. Yeah, I'll take, take a Griffin, it. but I, I'd like to have a Chimera. Um, and so if one pops up, it, not that I can buy it right now, but I mm-hmm. just want to scope it out a little it, bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a Boltaco go-kart, not really a go-kart. It was like a mini open-wheel racer. It had full suspension, so it was not a go-kart, but it was a, like, it. it it's a mini open-wheel race car. Uh-huh. And it sold on eBay in March for $19,900. Goodness. Historically significant? Uh, No. Bodywork made in England, sold in the United States. Cart Boltaco from 1972. Original Boltaco go-kart 250 engine. uh, Junior. I guess it's the class. Vintage original from Boltaco Collectors Museum. And that is that is an interesting looking vintage open wheel race car. It was twenty thousand dollars. That is crazy. That's amazing. And I it had been advertised for sale for uh, several years, but I guess the market finally caught up with it. So. Speaking of mini bikes, there is the best picture on the internets of Ari and Zach Quartz. They had recreated the Dumb and Dumber like mini bike. Oh yeah. And they're like the dumb and dumber outfits. And it looks like Lloyd and Harry on the mini bike, but it's Zach and Ari <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty good. I have not seen that. Was that on their Instagram? I think so. I just texted it to you guys. Uh, let's see. They've even got the briefcase in the front basket. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like if you didn't look closely, <laughs> like it actually looks like Lloyd and Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn. <laughs> That's funny. It makes me want to recreate that mini bike just for like car shows. <laughs> that would be hilarious. And a lot easier than recreating the muck cut. Uh <laughs> which someone has actually has done that. Yes, yes. That would take a lot of work. The mini bike, a lot less work. Yeah. That looks like 
a good weekend with a tube bender and a welder. Yeah. And you could knock that thing out. Like two days. Right. Two days and 150 bucks. <laughs> Actually, with current mini bike prices, 4,000 bucks. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if you exactly. put it on bring a trailer, probably worth 7,000 bucks. <laughs> right. Right. Ex Don Vesco bike, not so much. Yeah. You know, thrown together. Garbage. First RD250 Farron set ever made. Not much. (laughs) (sighs) I hopefully will have more news on the workshop front next month. I understand, Garrett, you're planning on a couple more months of doing workshop upgrades and playing with your new truck. Yeah. uh, Eric, you just need to go out and buy a new BMW and we'll have something to talk about next next month. Mm -hmm. If, if I did that, I wouldn't be talking to you from this particular office. <laughs> yeah. He'd be out on You'd the be porch. living in a van down by the river. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would say we spent, we, we, we just spent on a new mattress what I could buy a cheap Aprilia for. So, uh, yeah. But that was needed nice because. Sleep. Yeah, ones. well, we got tired of. We bought a Tempur-Pedic mattress five years ago, and it's the second worst mattress we've ever had. And I've been ready to move on for a while. And Catherine finally got to the point of like, okay, I'm tired of this. And the local big box furniture store around here is having you know typical Memorial Day sale, and it was like mm-hmm. fifteen hundred bucks off the. It was only ridiculous. It was only very stupid versus the obscenely stupid price yeah. they were asking, you know, pre-sale price, and it was just like, all right. And she's like, "We're just going to do this. I'm, I, I need to sleep at night too." Mm-hmm. So. I, I will second your dislike of the Tempur-Pedic. We, uh, we had a regular inner spring mattress made by a local manufacturer that's down the street from us that sells direct to the public, and they were like, "Yeah, we don't do pillow tops. We don't do foam or anything." this is just a plain old fashioned, you can flip it, you know, mm. and we're like, okay, great. Loved it. When my mother-in-law, uh, toward the end of her life was in pain all the time and she couldn't really lay down on a bed. So we got her an adjustable bed and we thought, oh, the latex, you know, the, the foam beds are nice because they can flex and you can get the adjustability. So we bought her one and she still couldn't sleep in it. We went back and they were like, well, we have a 30 night guarantee. And they're like, well, yeah, that's for an exchange, not to not to get your money back. I'm like, okay, so we went ahead and did a partial trade in on a king size for us, mm-hmm. and after about a year, we switched them back. <laughs> so we have a Tempur Pedic that no one ever sleeps on, and we're back on the the local Han Bedding Company bed that we still love after many years. Yeah, we went back to the Inner Spring, and it's. Getting still getting used to it. It's only we've only had it a week, but it's it's already better. So, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Well, now that we've talked about mattresses and cars and pickups and everything else, we'll try to think of another specific topic to talk about other than just whatever we think about. Okay, see you all next month. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>